This is a CBC podcast. <laughs> is this all your bags? It's 5:30 in the morning at the bus station in Plattsburgh, about five hours north of New York City. You guys have got to squeeze in. A dozen or so people just got off a bus and they're getting into taxis. They look tired and a bit cold, but they seem excited too. I think you're luggage. These folks have traveled for hundreds, even thousands of kilometers to get here. Migrants coming from Venezuela, South Africa, Mexico, and this is the final leg of their trip. They're heading to Roxham Road, an unofficial border crossing in upstate New York. What will happen to them there? They don't know. It's very, very, very nice Canada. More opportunities of the working. So. What they also don't know, they're some of the last ones who'll be allowed to enter Canada at Roxham Road. It was about two weeks ago that the irregular border crossing was shut down. Canada and the U.S. have reached a deal to close the Roxham Road border crossing in Quebec. And we just heard from Jagmeet Singh on that as well. The two governments had been in talks about... To help us understand Roxham Road, we're going to meet some migrants mid-journey and hop on the bus with them on a trip they hope will change the direction of the rest of their lives. I'm Duncan McHugh, and this is a hell of a story. Producer Craig Dasson is here to share this story with us. Hey, Craig. Hey, Duncan. So for you, uh, where did this trip to Roxham Road start? Well, I wanted to trace it back to New York City. Why New York City? The thing about New York City is that it's in the midst of a migration crisis. And the other thing about New York City is that it's about a five-hour drive to the Canadian border. Which makes sense. I mean, if things aren't working out for you in New York, then, then Canada's a stone's throw away. Exactly. And the rumors were that getting to Roxham Road was an easy way to get into Canada and make an asylum claim. And one person who I met in New York who has seen so much of this with their own eyes is Ilsa Thielman. So we, we have seen patterns throughout the time that we've been doing this work where a rumor starts that this is the great new place to be. So we saw people... Ilsa leads a team TLC NYC. So they're a group that helps asylum seekers in New York City, usually by being right inside the Port Authority, where so many of them have been arriving. But the day that I went and saw her, she was in another space that they're setting up to help migrants, which is not far from the Port Authority bus terminal. Hi, welcome. <laughs> Here's our new spot. Come on in. So when I went to see the space, yeah, it was just brimming with stuff for migrants. Everywhere I looked, there were jackets, shoes, children's toys, water bottles, all this stuff which this group of volunteers had assembled to give to the city's migrants. And it was just like a really kind of bumping place. There was all kinds of volunteers. They were 
all kinds of ages. There were high school students, there were retirees, and they were painting walls, organizing stuff, because when I went there, the grand opening was just around the corner. So you can imagine anticipation is in the air. People are working frantically. And the energy was so go, go, go that when I went to put down my coat, Ilsa cautioned me uh, and said, you know, maybe we should get a volunteer to label it because it could end up in a donation pile. I've got one of my volunteers here. She'll let us in. Ilsa has seen this crisis play out in front of her eyes. And what a crisis has been. Here's what has happened in New York City. Since last April, over 50,000 migrants have arrived in the city, which has pushed the city's shelters and social services to capacity. So they've been uh, renting out hotels around Manhattan. And uh, once those got full, they've started putting migrants in a ferry terminal in uh, Red Hood, Brooklyn. And uh, it's reached such a crisis point that the mayor of New York, Eric Adams, has declared a state of emergency. Uh, the National Guard is now part of the response. Uh, they're, they're set up uh, in hotels, uh, doing security. They're uh, in the Port Authority, helping them process asylum seekers. And part of the reason why things reached this crisis point was last year, Texas started busing asylum seekers right into Manhattan. And part of what brought that on was towns like El Paso had sometimes seen over 2,000 migrants arrive from Mexico in a single day. The rumor was that buses with free passage to Canada were waiting on the other side of the wall. It was, of course, completely false. But this month, it brought migrants to the Juarez-El Paso border at all hours. And it underlined... The Texas governor, Greg Abbott, who it's probably worth mentioning was in the midst of an election campaign, decided he would send migrants north to cities like New York and D.C. They didn't tell us where we were, he says. They left us here and that was it. They're very confused because they didn't understand um, where they were going, um, you know, this is a residential area. This comes one day after migrants were secretly flown from Florida to the wealthy vacation community of Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts, all part of a push by Republican governors to send migrants to Democrat-run states and cities. Something As all these migrants were arriving at the Port Authority bus terminal, Ilsa was there to witness it. I mean, they're, some of them are dehydrated. They've been on buses for 30... I mean, the, the journey from Texas... Well, it depends on where in Texas, but um, some of them are on a 36-, 40-hour bus journey um, with not enough food, not enough water, you know, no medical care. People would get off the bus. Sometimes people would collapse from exhaustion. They haven't been able to sleep for all that time, um, and they haven't had enough water. We The first thing we hand people is water um, and we give them food and they don't have clothing. You know, they arrive at least in the summertime if they had a t-shirt and shorts, that was okay. But then they started arriving in the fall in the same clothing because they were coming from the border and from Texas where it was hot. So we had to give them clothing. We had to, some of them had to be rushed to the hospital. Some of them needed just basic medical care. Um, it, it turned out that some of these folks didn't even know they were coming to New York. They had no idea where they were when they got off the buses. For example, a father would arrive 
And he would say, you know, my wife and children are coming tomorrow. And we would have to look at the, at the father and say, there's no bus coming tomorrow from Texas. The buses from Texas are going to D.C. tomorrow. And their wife and children will, will have been sent to Washington, D.C. And then we had to reunite those families. So we'd work with our... Okay, so help, help me understand this. Okay. Is the city not helping? It's it's definitely trying to help. As I mentioned, they're renting uh, hotels. They're um, feeding all the asylum seekers. And it's costing the city an incredible amount of, of money. So Bloomberg reported in September that this crisis cost New York City between half a billion and a billion dollars. Wow. And even with all that money, even with all these resources being put into trying to help all these migrants to New York, the system is still struggling. After what these people have gone through to come to the U.S., I mean, people who crossed the Darien Gap crossed through one of the most dangerous, notorious jungles in the world um, where they were met with snakes and crocodiles and rushing river water and um, criminals and floating dead bodies and, uh, you know, crossed on foot through... Um, seven countries or more to come here and then be incarcerated in Texas and then be shipped to New, to New York on a bus. I mean, it's just a story of such desperation. So they started by giving out clothes and then they started to give out bus tickets. They didn't want migrants stranded in New York City who might have family or friends elsewhere. And when they started doing this, a lot of them were heading south. A few people had gone down to Miami, had gotten jobs, had found housing and were doing well and the weather was nice and the word spread. It was like, it was the classic story of the gold rush, right? Um, now Canada is just the latest where people are, um, you know, are hearing, oh, it's a much easier place to get asylum. So the uh, word on the street is that Canada is uh, easier to get into. Uh, wh what's that meant for Canada? Ilse had given out a lot of tickets to Plattsburgh, New York, where migrants find their way to Roxham. But of course, these tickets are not the only way people were making their way to Plattsburgh. Altogether, over the last year and a half, nearly 50,000 migrants crossed over the border into Quebec. Wow, just huge, huge numbers. And, and of course, we've all heard how that's overwhelmed the, the social services in Montreal. It did that too, and it became a huge political issue that played out on the national stage. And for a lot of the migrants who came to Canada, life didn't line up with the rumors. It's exaggerated. You know, just because one person, one family did well does not mean that everyone is going to do well up there. So we have people who are going up there chasing that dream and finding that it's not what it's cracked up to be, that it isn't as easy to get working papers, it does take a long time, that they may have jeopardized any chance of getting asylum by crossing the border, that they, um, it's cold. So we wanted to meet people, people making that choice to continue this journey to Canada. All right, so where did you go next? We headed to the bus station, the Port Authority bus terminal. And if you check out their website, it says they're one of the busiest bus terminals in the world. So if you are planning on crossing at Roxham Road, then there's a really good chance that you took one of the buses that left from there. If you go inside the Port Authority bus terminal, it's this bewildering maze of escalators and hallways and people. 
Uh, and then when we were there, the National Guard was there as well, in uniform. And they had an area set up, and, and you could see families from around the world kind of in that vicinity waiting to find out where they would go next. This is Giovanna Tonat, who looked to be in her 20s. She was at the Port Authority that day, trying to transfer to another hotel where some of her relatives on her uh, son's dad's side were staying. Uh, how's she doing? My colleague, uh, Cassandra Yanaz Leighton, was there with me because she speaks Spanish. So she actually went up and talked to her. And while telling her the story, uh, it was so intense, she basically broke down at various points. Essentially, she arrived in New York in February, traveling from Ecuador. And before leaving, her family was struggling to find food. Together with her five-year-old son, she left two daughters and her sick mother behind. The journey was unimaginably difficult. Giovanna and her son crossed the Panamanian jungle to reach New York City. Both of us were crying because it was really hard. Crossing the jungle for me was really hard. Sometimes there were times where I'd tell myself there's no sense in being here. Better I go back. I would say no, later say yes. I motivated myself, got unmotivated, but I was already halfway through the jungle. I couldn't go back. So I told myself I have to keep going. And I would tell myself, if here it's so hard, how will it be over there? No, over there, over there I'll have everything. I'll work. But now being here, I tell myself I would have preferred to stay in Ecuador. Why didn't I turn back? Boy, uh, that is... That's something. Uh, What has it been like since she arrived? Struggle. She has been struggling to make a life for her in uh, New York. Here, thanks to God, where to sleep, where to live, I have never lacked. But as I say, I came here to work, to prop up my children. I feel impotent because I can't do that. But she's not going to rock some. She's going to stick it out in New York for now because she can stay in a shelter for a year. The bus terminal, if you go at night, is mostly empty, except for the crowd forming in front of Gate 26. And this is in the basement of the the Port Authority. That's where the overnight bus to Montreal is parked. And Craig, I'm going to leave you here and catch up with you after you take this journey. I also met another woman at the Port Authority. When I met her, she was sitting on a bench near the gate, clad in a baby blue tracksuit with a pink suitcase resting at her side. I've had better days. <laughs> I'm very tired. I come over from South Africa. She flew from South Africa to London to New York, and then came straight to the New York Port Authority bus station in Manhattan. As we begin to board, it becomes clear. What else do they want? Passport. She really doesn't know what is going on. What do they want? What do you have? What ticket do you have? Passport. CBC isn't using her real name because she fears for her family's safety back home. We're calling her Grace. Hello. Lexburg. Tonight, the bus is packed. Uh, the folks on the board call is scheduled to uh, Montreal. They may 
As the bus leaves the station, Grace sits by the window, gazing at the Manhattan skyline fading into the distance. She doesn't really want to be here. I didn't want to leave South Africa. I love South Africa. That's my home. That's what I know. But I am being pushed by certain situations whereby, firstly, it's the corruption in the country. It's beyond mind-bombing. It's crazy. I feel like I cannot function in South Africa because of the corruption that there is. The main reason which is closest to my heart is that I am married to, to a Zimbabwean. So we've been experiencing loads of xenophobic attacks as a family in the sense that um, people would come and threaten us and intimidate us. It, it, it has even passed on to our kids. It's very scary. It is very scary. Grace left her three children and husband in South Africa. She hopes to claim asylum in Canada and then bring over the rest of her family. Right now, I could only afford to bring myself. If I could afford it, I would have uprooted everyone. It was a decision that was so difficult. It was not easy making that decision, but I just thought if I don't make the first step, the first step with what I have, I probably am never going to be able to, to do anything for anybody. I've got young kids. It kills me. I think it's another. It's 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 what's adding to my headaches because I've been crying ever since. I've got a child that is three years old. My last child is three years old. I feel so guilty. I feel so guilty. Like my daughter was crying nonstop when I, the, the day I left. I just pray. I pray. I pray. It works out. I pray it works out. I, I pray my kids are safe. You know. This must be the most difficult thing I ever had to do. She heard the rumors about Roxon Road online, then decided to sell almost everything she owned to pay for this $3,000 trip. Canada is more welcoming and it's more family-orientated. In my opinion, I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but that's what I, I, I found when I was doing the research. Compared to all the other countries I, I, I thought of. I thought of Ireland at some point, I thought of the US, but I think Canada is was the best of, of all of them. Sitting behind Grace is another passenger on his way to Roxham tonight. How are you? How are you feeling? I'm feeling? Yeah. Well, I don't know. His name is Ernesto Leon. He's traveling with his wife and young daughter. They're asleep across the aisle from us. His daughter is clutching a stuffed animal, a mini mouse doll, almost as big as she is. Ernesto is more confident than Grace about his choice to be here tonight. One of my cousins made it. She did it. She's there. She took the same trip. She crossed into the United States and that same day made her way to Canada. She's the one that's motivated me and my family to go. He didn't have to cross the Panamanian jungle, but his trip was still very dangerous. It was very bad. I got to the Mexican border and then I crossed a river. After crossing the river, I was detained in jail for eight days. 
and it was only after eight days that I was able to communicate with my family. They didn't know anything about what was going on. His wife and daughter joined him a month later. They didn't have to cross a river. They crossed the desert. They were detained only for hours. Ernesto doesn't really want to talk about his trip from Peru. But during the seven-hour bus ride, he occasionally breaks the silence by asking me questions about Canada. Like, how long does it take to drive from Ottawa to Toronto? Or, how long does the winter last? To which I reply, only six months. And he gives me a smile. At about 4.30 a.m., our bus arrives at the Plattsburgh bus station. These migrants know that they can't take the bus all the way to Montreal. Under the safe third country agreement, they'd be turned back at the official border crossing. What they don't know is they're among the last people who will be able to cross at Roxham. The bus stop is little more than a gas station, next to a convenience store. Parked nearby is a rusty passenger van with a cracked windshield. You guys got to squeeze them. <laughs> is this all your bags? On the rear window are the words Roxham Road and Border. Grace, Ernesto and his family, and another Venezuelan woman with her young daughter pile in. We hit the road. Nobody speaks for much of the trip. We drive down empty country roads. It's so dark, I can hardly see anything outside the window. Grace turns to me and says, I'm scared. I'm not too sure what's gonna go, how it's going to happen, but um, I believe I need, uh, I need to get myself arrested. Oh my God. Yeah, I think I need to get myself arrested and then I'm not sure how it goes from there forward. I don't know what they do. Do they take me to a jail? Like, I, don't, I, I honestly don't know what happens from getting myself arrested and further. The videos I've seen is and then we turn onto Roxham Road. Is this where we're getting off? My heart is racing. It's a confusing scene. Our driver is trying to collect his $50, luggage is being pulled out of vans, and standing in front of us is an RCMP officer, with his hands resting on his bulletproof vest. Behind him, Canada. Do you feel any better? I am very nervous now. Very nervous. I don't know what's going to happen from here. Another passenger van has already arrived. The migrants are huddling together in front of the RCMP officer. Grace gets her suitcase and joins the group. None of them know what to do. Most don't speak English, and the RCMP aren't offering much information. Finally, one man breaks away from the group. He steps across the border. Venezuela. Okay. Now you cross the border illegally. Yeah, yeah. You are under arrest for illegal entry to Canada. You understand? Okay. Then there is a long pause. The migrants look at each other, and one by one, they follow him across to Canada. 
Now, on the other side of the border, I can see Ernesto and his family. His daughter still holding the Minnie Mouse doll. Grace looks back at us, then falls back into line, clutching her pink suitcase. That documentary was produced by Craig Dessen and Cassandra Yanazladen. Okay, Craig, in the days after you arrived home from making the doc, uh, a lot happened, right? Oh, totally. The full story about Roxham Road changed. Nine days after Grace crossed the border, President Biden came to Ottawa and the Canadian government announced that Roxham Road would be closed. As from today, migrants arriving at a popular unofficial gateway to central Canada are now being turned away. Roxham Road. So what is happening to the people who were en route when that change occurred? There were incredible uh, scenes uh, at Roxham Road and in Plattsburgh right after they closed it because people kept coming. People did not know that the border had been closed and were only finding out the news when they arrived. And some people still decided to cross at Roxham Road where they were uh, intercepted by the RCMP. And a few were still allowed to come. Like, uh, there are exceptions for unaccompanied minors and for those with Canadian family members. It's hard to imagine what it would be like showing up there and not knowing what was going on. So so what happens now? I mean, this this flood of, of people coming to North America and New York, that hasn't changed. A lot of the experts on this are saying that people are going to keep coming. But what's going to happen now is they're going to avoid border crossings official border crossings and unofficial ones. They're going to cross in the wilderness. Remember, Canada has the longest undefended border in the world. Here's somebody who lives near the border. By closing Roxham Road, they have opened up almost 9,000 kilometers where people, unfortunately, because they're desperate, are going to start trying to cross and come into Canada. And their lives are going to be more in danger. That is Francis Ravensbergen, who has been uh, handing out middens to asylum seekers at Roxton Road, speaking to the National. Hmm. And of course, I think we all want to know, uh, have you had any word from Emmanuel or Grace? Well, Emmanuel didn't want to give us his contact. And uh, Grace, I sent her a few messages and nothing back. I can see that she read them. I sent them on WhatsApp. But for whatever reason, she's not responding. I'm glad you reached out to her, and I, and I sure hope she's okay. Um, thank you. Thank you, Craig, to you and Cassandra for bringing us this story. Thanks, Duncan, and thanks for uh, having me on the show. And that's it for this week's Hell of a Story. The show is produced by Tanera McLean, Julia Poggle, and me. Thanks to our friends at the house for all their help this week. And we hope you're enjoying the docs we bring you on Hell of a Story. Leave us a rating or a review. We read them all, and it helps people find us. I'm Duncan McHugh. Jimmy Gwetch. Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.